With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President of Affiliated Monitors. We take a deep dive into the Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, the 2019 guidance, which was released in April of this year. Over the next five podcasts, we will explore the challenges, excuse me, the changes that are in the 2019 guidance from the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs 2017 guidance, which was released back in February of 2017. The structure and the emphasis of the 2019 guidance, and what does it mean for the compliance practitioner? We will also take a look at each specific prong. So is the program well-designed? Is it being a implemented effectively, and does the compliance program work in practice? In this episode three, we consider the question, is your compliance program being implemented effectively by taking a look at commitment by senior management and middle management, autonomy and resources for compliance, and incentives and disciplinary actions? This special five-part series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for our third episode of the exploration of the 2019 guidance from the Department of Justice. As always, I'm joined by Eric Feldman. Eric is a senior vice president of Affiliated Monitors. Eric, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Eric, uh, today we're going to take up prong number two, which asks the question, is it being implemented effectively? So what were sort of your thoughts to see... Uh, this these series of questions or these series of issues broken out in this manner? Well, you know, I really like this. Um, and I like what they say up front here, that prosecutors are instructed to prove specifically whether a compliance program is a paper program or one implemented, reviewed, and revised as appropriate uh, in an effective manner. And we have always used the term paper program to kind of describe a company that has a code of conduct and they might have a couple policies and procedures, uh, the thou shalt not, kind of like the federal government's uh, 
compliance program, uh, and they don't have much substance behind it. And we have thrown that term around a lot to describe a program that uh, is really just a fig leaf. And here DOJ takes it on directly, even using that term paper program. I think that sends a very strong message to companies that, you know, don't show us all the elements of what you think need to be in a program by throwing a bunch of paper at us. We want to see that that program actually has impacted the culture of the company and the behavior of the employees in the company. That takes a whole different level of attention and implementation and assessment of whether or not a program is effective. Completely different level if they're asking for you. So, Eric, one of the things that uh, I thought was significant was the uh, very strong emphasis on tone uh, and culture, starting at the top, but not limited at the top. And it's not just tone. It is actions and conduct. So I was wondering what your thoughts were around the commitment requirements for senior and middle-level management. Sure. You know, I I like the recognition that culture starts at the top. What I like even more is that they are defining the top, not just as senior executives within a company, but also the board. And the board is often left out of these conversations when it comes to uh, driving the culture of an organization. And I've always thought that if the board doesn't ask the right questions of the executives and the ethics and compliance officer, namely, what are the impediments to our culture and strengthening our culture? What is the culture like right now? I don't know how many conversations board members have had with CEOs about what the culture's like right now and how do we improve it. And this guidance says right up front that that standards, ethical standards, need to be articulated by the board, by senior leadership, and then demonstrated by example. And that really is another area of this uh, this section of the guidance that talks about the reinforcement of standards by senior leaders and middle management by their behavior. Uh, the, the other piece of it is whether managers have tolerated certain compliance risks um, in pursuit of new business or greater revenues, that they're willing to accept a certain amount of uh, violation or fraud even in order to achieve their their goals. And I think that this is the challenge of our day in compliance, and that is creating an alignment of incentives, which we'll talk about in a moment, that balances the financial incentives of a company with the ethics and compliance incentives. Uh, And here, I think, in discussing the commitment by senior and middle-level management in those terms and the need for managers to encourage ethical acts um, and to ensure that 
there's adequate compliance expertise, both on the board and within the company. Um, uh, I think these are good questions to ask when you're evaluating the, as it says here, the effectiveness of the program. Eric, that would seem to be a, a great segue into the next section, which is autonomy and resources. And I guess my first observation is, wow, they, they put a lot more thought or at least language into this section, and it's much more specific. What were some of your thoughts around autonomy and resources, particularly uh, in light of the requirement for increased effectiveness at the top of the organization? Well, first of all, they say that that the um, adequacy of resources and the autonomy and, and organizational structure of your ethics program is dependent on the size, structure, and risk profile of that company. It recognizes that there are some companies, larger ones, should devote more formal operations and greater resources to a program. And then smaller organizations can be less formal and have fewer resources, but still be effective. And, you know, I've seen programs that were started with nothing that included one internal person and one organization. I remember it was a quality assurance person within that company became the ethics officer. No resources, did it all himself. And I would tell you that given the size of that company, which was relatively small, but the credibility and stature of this individual, that was one of the more effective programs I've ever seen with a staff of one. And then I've seen large programs with multiple staff members where effectiveness is not even a con really a consideration. It's all about outputs. How many investigations? How many cases? Uh, how many trainings did I do? instead of how effective those things were. So in this section here, um, I think they, they do a, a very good job of identifying the most important criteria. They talk about seniority and sufficiency of the seniority of the individual that's managing the program. The autonomy for management, direct access to the board um, or a uh, board committee, um, and they talk about sufficiency of personnel and resources relevant to the specific risk. And there are lots of different questions that they raise about whether it should be illegal, which is still, uh, you know, not specifically resolved. Um, to what extent um, uh, should the, the company be responding to concerns raised? Uh, by compliance, how do you document those things? And then a new piece is whether or not there should be, in some circumstances, can this whole function be outsourced? And it seems to me that they recognize that for some very small companies, outsourcing may not be a particularly bad idea, except there are three things that a company needs to focus on if they do outsource, who oversees the contract, who has access to the information that the compliance officer has on complaints and investigations, and how do you assess whether that function is effective? 
So that could be a very interesting alternative for thousands of smaller companies that can't afford to have the internal resources to uh, create an effective compliance and ethics activity. Eric, the final section in this prong uh, you previously alluded to, but I was wondering if you might give uh, some more or at least uh, more comprehensive thoughts around the language around incentives and disciplinary measures. Sure. Well, you know, it's um, it's quite interesting that, you know, of late, many of the widely publicized ethical failures, uh, organizations like uh, Wells Fargo, um, the United Airlines um, situation uh, a couple of years ago where they uh, dragged an individual off the plane uh, and the, um, uh, the ground crew was uh, constrained by the lack of empowerment. Um, many of these things can be traced back to the level of incentives that people have and whether the financial uh, incentives are properly aligned and balanced with ethics and compliance incentives. And here is the first time I see a in this guidance um, some emphasis on the implication of the entire incentive system on compliance and ethical behavior. Um, they talk about incentives such as promotions, rewards, and bonuses for demonstrating ethical leadership. And that, to me, is it takes the program to a completely different level. Now, they also talk about the other side of this carrot and the stick, the stick side, which is clear, consistent discipline that's commensurate with the violations. That you see in most guidance. But what I like also is this statement that they want to see disciplinary actions publicized uh, internally, which can have a valuable deterrent effect. And they say that under the training section as well to use these instances of disciplinary actions as an opportunity for training. That is a is something new, and a lot of companies don't do that for fear of some kind of legal action. But I've seen it done very, very effectively in an anonymous way uh, without naming the person, but using the violation and what happened to that individual as a training tool for others. So I, I kind of like the approach that DOJ is taking here. Eric, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I've been visiting with Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President uh, at Affiliated Monitors. I hope you will join us again for our next episode where we take up the prong or question, does the compliance program work in practice? Eric, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the special five-part series on the new 2019 DOJ Guidance, which is sponsored by Affiliated Monitors. For more information on Affiliated Monitors, check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode. This special five-part podcast series is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.